morning, church. Would you pray with me, please? Father God, thank you so much for giving us all the blessing of another day that we get to come here and worship you and spend time with our family. God, as I get to deliver the message today from your word, may you uh, please give it to me and uh, may your Holy Spirit guide me through this message. And, And Lord, I know that I am the one standing on stage, but God, please let the congregation and everyone else see that it is you that is up here delivering this word. God, please... Help me deliver this, this sermon uh, at a speed that everyone will understand and that, that I can uh, give this message that people will, will hear and that they want to hear God and that they will take out into the world and, and share with everyone else that they come across. Um, through Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, church, I get to bring you a couple sermons in the next few weeks about the power of our words, the power of God's words, and how we get to use those out in the world. You know, in Proverbs 18.21, it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Now, the message commentary puts it pretty simple. Words kill, words give life, they're either poison or fruit, you choose. Now, we can see the power of words by going to creation in Genesis 1. Now, God could have created any way he wanted to, right? Could have coughed out clouds, shaped mountains with his hands, or just thought about things and they would appear. But he chose words to create, and it was good. Every time God speaks in the Bible, things change. You see it throughout the Old and New Testament. Whether it be a circumstance, a heart, weather pattern. Everything's changed when God or Jesus commands it. Remember, it was the Word that became flesh in John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. We are made in His image. Modeled after Him. The one who creates life with words is our DNA. We can do the same thing. There are two options with our words. We can either build up or tear down. Now, I'm what they call an older millennial. That's the generation they call people born from like 1980 to about the 2000s or so. And, of course, that depends on which they you ask. But I usually get lumped into the millennials. And that means that we have the opportunity to communicate more and faster than ever before. It's always love telling the kids at the teen house the actual job you had to go look up at an encyclopedia and then instead of just typing something into Wikipedia. It's kind of fun. I remember my parents bought a set of encyclopedias when I was getting ready to go into high school. I thought I was going to be the smartest kid in high school. Turns out you got to actually use them in order, to, in order to be smart. So that didn't really work out. But it's easy to say things nowadays that may not mean something to you, but words are powerful. You know, prayer is one way that God gave us to share our thoughts and words with Him. And there are a lot of people in here today that can solidify that power. I've had experiences that that solidify the power of prayer. You know, I like to go to God specifically in the morning, open up the Bible. I have about 20 or 30 minutes after the ladies leave the house by myself where I have to come in the office. I'll sit down in my room and open Scripture, talk to God openly about what what I think He is saying to me and what I thought He was saying to the people at the time. And I learned when I first started studying the Bible from the man that would become my father-in-law that God always hears us. And of course, that frightened me when I first started reading the Bible because I didn't have a very clean mouth when I first started reading the Bible. So I taught myself that I am in constant conversation with God. So I need to watch my mouth. And I've tried to convey this to the youth group so that they can remember that they are in constant conversation with God as well. I want to tell you a story about how my parents taught me this lesson. So I'm going to take you back 28 years 
So, gentlemen, get your members-only jackets out, and ladies, get your shoulder pads, start stuffing them in your, in your blouses. We're going back to the 80s. Now, this may seem hard for you, some of you to believe, but I wasn't always a nice kid. For some reason, I would lie to my parents, lie to my grandparents, lie to my brother. Just for some reason, I still don't know why, but I would. So my mom came up with this idea that if I didn't lie for a certain amount of weeks, I think it was two or three, and I, when I asked her for the summer, she couldn't remember, and I couldn't remember either, but I bet when I was six, I'd probably seem like seven years. But if I didn't lie for a certain amount of weeks, then I would get a prize. So, believe it or not, I passed, and my prize was a stuffed paint of that I called Fibber. Now, I remember the words that my mom told me when I got this prize. My mom said, Jeff, if you go around lying to people all the time, going to hurt people. Well, six-year-old Jeff didn't want to hurt people. Don't get me wrong, 34-year-old Jeff doesn't want to hurt people either. But I have Jesus in my heart now. I'm not supposed to. I'm supposed to be like him. I have been born again. And this morning, I want to take us on a journey that shows God's people talking to him and God responding, starting in Numbers, and it's going to take us to John 3, and it's going to show God's powerful words, how they taught back then, and how they teach us today. So if you'd like to follow along, go and turn your Bibles to Numbers 21. Now as you're turning or clicking there, I'll uh, give you a background on how we got to where we are. Numbers is the fourth book in the Old Testament, or the Hebrew Scriptures, and it relates Israel's journey from Mount Sinai to the borders of the Promised Land. This is after Moses receives the Ten Commandments, and then it is a fulfillment of God's promises that he spoke to Abraham, that his descendants would occupy the land of Canaan. It summarizes about 40 years of the nation's history. So, God frees Israel from slavery, his chosen people in Egypt, and they were wandering around the wilderness from Kadesh to the plains of Moab. Now, I don't know about you guys, but Kadesh and plains of Moab just scream wilderness at me, so I agree with that. Moses sends messengers to the king of Edom that we need to go through your land in order to get to Canaan. king of Edom says, sorry, you can't do that. So they have to go around which leads to more wandering. And it takes us to verse 4, chapter 21 of Numbers. It starts, From Mount Or they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Now, while they were wandering around the desert, God provides them with Nutrition that they call manna. And you find that out in Exodus 16.31. It says, Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Now whenever we have a lesson over the teen house that involves manna, I'll go buy a bunch of vanilla wafers and hand them out to kind of get a, a grasp on what it is. But I didn't buy enough this morning, so I can't hand them out. So sorry, no snacks. But I bet there's really good donuts outside. So they were wandering around the wilderness, and they eating this blessing from God... But they don't think it's enough. Israel spoke against God and Moses in verse 5, saying, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? They have enough bread to spare, but yet they are still complaining that the blessing is not enough. And of course, most of us know that those who like to find fault will find it even when there's no fault to be found. Israel's been showered with God's grace through this wilderness journey, and he's feeding them with heavenly food. Yet they're still not satisfied. So they complain to God and to Moses, and God reminds them on whom they should be focusing. Verses 6 and 7 said, The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many of people Israel died. 
And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. God heard the grumblings and complaining from his people. And he sends fiery serpents down because they lost their focus. Now these serpents were called fiery for a couple of reasons. Because their color and or their effects from the bites. It would cause the body to inflame. We'd have a really high fever and an unquenchable thirst. So unfortunately, kids, they're not snakes on fire. Sorry, they were not. So they unjustly complained about a want for water. And God sends them this thirst that no water would quench. Now, this wasn't a punishment for complaining. For if it was, God wouldn't have sent Moses the anecdote. In verse 7, they confess their sin, saying, My bad, I shouldn't have complained. I'm sorry. Please pray to God that they could take these fiery serpents away. So the Lord speaks to Moses in verse 8. says, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole. Everyone who was bitten, when he sees it, should live. Easy enough, right? You get bit by a snake, hopefully in your heel, because you'll be running away from a snake and not running towards it. But you just get bit, look about that, you're healed. That's it. Easy enough, right? Now, this short story in Numbers shows us a couple things about God's words. That He hears us, and He responds accordingly. Because it can become easy to forget who we should stay focused on with all that we have going on. God will give us a reminder. And that reminder will... Will help us in the long run, of course. And it usually points to something bigger down the road. It's kind of a weird story, right? Anybody know this story before I shared it? Zeros. Don't worry, it's the same in the 8 o'clock service. It's okay. Nobody knew it either. <laughs> Nobody likes raising hands at church. So let's turn to John chapter 3 and, and find out how this story led a religious leader at Jesus' time and played an integral part in the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. So, John chapter 3 starts out with the Pharisee coming to talk to Jesus at night. Now, the Pharisees were leaders of the Jewish religion in Jerusalem at the time. And they thought of themselves to be the closest to God and welcomed into God's kingdom just by being born. Now, in the latter part of John chapter 2 is when Jesus walks into the temple and sees that bad stuff's going on. There's tables and animals in there and there's selling going on. So, he flips over the tables and causes a scene in the temple right before this. So one of the key leaders, Nicodemus, came to visit Jesus at night to ask him some questions about the works that he's been doing. In verses 1 and 2 it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now Nicodemus coming to talk to Jesus at night is a big thing, but he calls Jesus Rabbi, which means teacher, which is a sign of respect. And he recognizes that he's done miracle works as well. And in verse 2, he states that we know that you are a teacher come from God. That means that he and the other Pharisees have been talking about Jesus in his ministry. In verse 3, Jesus states, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again? I mean, my response would have been very similar to what Nicodemus says in verse 4. He says, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, my commentary would go something like this. Nicodemus looks at Jesus and says, Say what? Because that doesn't make sense to me. But, I'm the probably farthest from the doctor in this room, but I know that cannot happen. But Jesus is focusing on something heavenly while Nicodemus is thinking of something earthly. Nicodemus was wondering how he could go all the way back to the beginning. 
Now, of course, Jesus knows that Nicodemus doesn't understand. So he explains further. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Jesus is pointing to something that's to come. He's pointing to his own death, burial, and resurrection. In baptism, water becomes a grave from which we must be spiritually resurrected. The Apostle Paul puts it almost perfectly in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. It says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died in sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism and death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. Paul is describing that when we were baptized, there's a spiritual renewal, a transformation. There was a person who was slave to sin, but after they immersed and come out of that water, they were born again with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is telling Nicodemus that a physical birth doesn't give you entry into God's kingdom. Spiritual renewal does. Jesus is speaking of the gift that is received when you are baptized. The gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the gift from above. Peter says in Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will be given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Of course, Nicodemus, still not understanding this, in verse 9, he says, How can these things be? Or my commentary would go, What? He just doesn't get it. Flabbergasted. There's no Greek word for that, but I just put that in myself. Flabbergasted. This great leader of religion at the time cannot seem to grasp something that Jesus is trying to say. It's so simple. Jesus asked him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Ouch. That's kind of like someone like David Fraze, who's been in youth ministry for 20 plus years. He actually teaches a class at Abilene Christian of student ministry. He knows what he's talking about when it comes to youth. Be like him come up to me saying, explaining the troubles and differences of our youth that we have today, and then me looking at him going, well, I thought it was just hormones. He probably wouldn't think I was a very good youth minister. And Jesus goes on and says in verse 11 and 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Jesus is saying that if you don't understand the things I'm doing here on earth, like the miracles he's been performing, the rebuking of demons he's been doing, having the blind see, then there's no way that Nicodemus would understand the teaching of God's kingdom. So Jesus tries to take a story that Nicodemus knows and tries to portray and describe what he's doing here on earth. Look at verse 14. It says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. You know, just like when Israel had complained and lost their focus of the blessings of God that they received, they weren't enough. They were bitten by fiery serpents. Like the Sanhedrin that Nicodemus is a part of. Their focus was off. They thought because they were born into this earthly kingdom of 
the Jews that they were automatically entered into God's kingdom. Jesus is telling them differently. See, if that's what you think the way the kingdom of God works, you're missing something. Sometimes we take for granted the blessings we got from God and complain that it's not enough. When there are plenty of people who don't even know the love of Jesus Christ who desperately need it. Now, I don't know if some of you may know this, but for centuries, if there ever was a symbol for healing internationally, it was something very similar to what you guys see on the slides there. Because, of course, that's the first thing I think about when I think of I need healing is a snake on a stick. But you can see these still at most hospitals today. Jesus was telling Nicodemus of what was going to happen. He was going to be lifted up and draw all men to him. Another thing that Nicodemus wouldn't understand. So in verse 16, this powerful verse that most would say that was the most powerful words in the gospel that most of the world knows. It's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There are a couple things that Nicodemus would really have trouble with in this verse. First thing would be God loving the world and whoever believes in him should not perish. Nicodemus was raised in thinking that he had it made just by his physical birth. Jesus is telling him that's not how it works. He's saying he came to the world to save it from sin and its loss of focus. In verse 17, Jesus says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus is saying he didn't come into the world to make an unethical person more ethical. He's trying to make a dead person come alive. Since... Sin and shame has come into the world with Adam and Eve. We have been wearing fig leaves to try and cover it up. And whether it be the vehicle we drive or the vehicle we don't drive, the degree we have or the degree we don't have, the relationship we're in or the relationship we just left. It's usually a means, probably, that to justify our worth to ourselves and the people around us. But Jesus is saying, I have taken the question of worth out of your hands and it's been decided in your favor. You know, these, these stories and these words that we get to read, study, and learn from help us understand more about the kingdom of God so that we can take this gospel out into the world and share these words and how they impact our lives and how they can impact others. Now, the story of the bronze serpent was a strange one to me when I first read it, not, not to be honest with you. But after years of growing in the faith, I can understand why God needed it and wanted it recorded. Israel forgot who gave them new life out of slavery. God needed to send them a reminder. Get the focus back to God. So God sent the world something as a reminder. The ultimate reminder for us to look to for healing. Now there are a lot of people that don't really remember a time they didn't know about Jesus. There are a lot of people who gave Christ their life later on in life. And there are a lot of people who don't even know who I'm talking about right now. But... I will give all those groups of people this. I will tell them this. Whenever you need a reminder or a starting point of how much God loves you, not just this row of people over here or this group of people here, everyone, nosotros, we, that God loves you, turn to John chapter 3 and read the story of Jesus teaching Nicodemus. Since you got a little background on verse 14 now when there's an Old Testament reference, that threw me off when I first started reading. I never knew what to do. That others can look to Jesus, the Son of Man lifted up, 
they can be healed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Your physical birth brought you into the world, but your spiritual rebirth will give you a gift that will change you from the inside out. And will welcome you into a new family. God's family. It's another thing Jesus was telling Nicodemus that night. That he was going to establish a new family. God's kingdom included everyone. Not just Abraham's seed. He was going to create a new family that most of us probably wouldn't pick. I know there's quite a few people in this room that probably wouldn't choose me as a brother. There might be a couple that probably don't like the fact that I am their brother. And that's okay. Because Jesus has taken the question of worth out of my hands and decided it in my favor. That's just one of the beautiful things that God does with his people, his kingdom. It takes people who have differences of all types. Social, economic differences. Those who can sing, those who can't sing. He gives us all something we can have in common. He sent his son so that we all could spend eternity with him. For God so loved, he gave. I see when I look around this room today, a lot of brothers and sisters that I need in my life to be more like Jesus. Better husband, better youth minister, better person, family. You know, we have family events here at church all the time. We have one coming up in a couple of weeks. It's one of my favorite ones. It's Trunk or Treat. It's so cool to see all the church family gather their trunks together and have games and everything else. And, of course, the community comes out. I'll never forget. I can't remember if it was a year or two ago. A gentleman came from across the street of the teen house, and he dressed his dog up. It was the coolest thing ever. I loved it. I can't wait. I hope you guys are there in a couple of weeks. Now, Jesus goes to the cross and dies in John 19. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea take his body down from the cross. And they take him to an empty tomb. Nicodemus brings 75 pounds of myrrh and oil and helps bury Jesus. Now, at the time, they would only bury bodies with a couple of pounds of oil and myrrh. But I think after that conversation in John 3, Nicodemus got it. He understood. Because Nicodemus was given Jesus the king. He was given a burial of a king, of royalty. Now, power of the words that God gave us in these stories are so easily applicable to us today. We have the ability to type something out and share it with the world in a matter of seconds. So, this week, let's make our words and conversation on social media anywhere. Be a reminder of the one who came to save us. Let our words be a source of healing for a world that is in constant conflict. Let me be a reminder that Jesus went to the cross and died for us, and then three days later, conquered death and rose from the grave so that we may spend eternal life with him. So what's going to be your bronze serpent this week? How are your words going to change the world? And family, if there's anyone out there that has questions about baptism, there will be elders here up front. I'll be here around. I would love to talk to you about that. An elder would love to talk to you about that as well. If you're needing prayers for anything that you were struggling with, that you need a bronze serpent to help remind you that God is in control and that He loves you. Please come forward as we stand in worship.